We're continuing on this series that we've been in, thinking about how we can be discipled by Jesus, looking at these middle passages in John's gospel, um, some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. And this morning, we're going to be thinking about how he really highlights the emphasis of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a disciple and how that's so important for us today. And whenever Sarah and I got engaged, um, I knew that there were lots of things that we were going to need to think about. So wedding date, wedding venue, um, suit measurements, and deciding where we would live. But there was one question that I had not any thought of before. I was in no way ready for it. And it came literally days after our engagement. And it wasn't just one person. Several people asked me this question. I wasn't ready for it. The question was, and what China are you collecting? I had no idea how to answer that question. The answer was none. <laughs> We're not collecting any China. I'm not collecting any China. I just about finished collecting Premier League football stickers. <laughs> and I wasn't about to make the move from Diddy A Drogba to Denby. You know, I, I didn't know how to compute the question. But a few weeks on, I'm standing in Debenhams deciding which Denby might match our wallpaper best. And I thought the world had gone mad and that I was now a lesser human being as a result. Um, and then a new curve ball came as part of this shopping trip. You don't just need one set. You need an everyday set and a good set. I'm sorry, what? And fast forward 12 years from that pleasant little shopping trip, and I'm ashamed to admit, and sorry for anyone who purchased our good set, that the good set of China has never been used and now sits in our attic. It's that special that it's stored away for the important occasion of our death, I think, to be passed on to someone else. Um, And I often wonder, I often wonder if that's how we've treated the Holy Spirit at times, like the special set of China that we store away for a really good occasion or a really important moment in our life rather than the everyday helper and guide. We did use the everyday set, by the way, just to help you out there. But as I grew up, the Holy Spirit was the aspect of the Trinity that just received so much less focus in my life and in the church, in my experience of the church. We didn't talk about the Spirit anywhere near as much as the Savior. And any passing references led me to think of it as kind of like an it, some kind of it rather than a person or a being or someone to know. God was revered. Jesus was celebrated. The Holy Spirit was shrouded in some kind of secrecy and cloaked in mystery, neglected at worst, maybe extinct at at worst, sorry. And I guess I assumed that the Holy Spirit was only available for the special few. (laughs) You know, like the VIP area at a function or the extra level of a computer game that only some got access to. There might have been some occasional glances or glimpses at significant events or special times, but really the Holy Spirit was like the good China, stored away in a cupboard or the distant relative that I saw once a year. I don't remember, if I'm honest, celebrating Pentecost Sunday each May or June like other regular markers in the Christian calendar. Today, however, is Pentecost Sunday. 
And I wonder if you knew that as you arrived at church this morning, I'm not saying that to shame anyone, I'm just, I just wonder if that was part of your psyche of arriving at church this morning. I wonder if you could imagine turning up to church on the 25th of December and being surprised as you walked in that there was a Christmas tree and it was Christmas Day. You know, didn't realize. I wonder if you walked into church on Easter Sunday, if you would be surprised by that. No, you would know about those things. Today is the day we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit to earth. It's a huge moment and marker and anniversary and we've been celebrating anniversaries over the past few days. This is an incredible anniversary in the life of the Christian church and calendar where we remind ourselves of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, not just as a one-time thing way back then, but as someone who is accessible and present with us today. Francis Chan writes this, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. What a prayer for you as work colleagues or family members or friends look on at your life. And as they look at your life, they get confused because they say anything that's good or anything that, uh, that they see in your life that is positive, actually it must be there because of someone else or something else. So aptly today on Pentecost Sunday, we turn to Jesus' words in John 16 and we consider what he says about the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have a Bible, I'd love you to turn it turn it on or open it um, as, as I read, just for you to check that what I'm saying is true, um, but also just to help guide you through um, uh, what Jesus is saying here. Let me read just a few of those verses again, not because Paul didn't read them well, of course, but just to highlight a few of them um, uh, and give them extra emphasis. From verse 7, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Jesus says, it's, it's going to be for your benefit that I'm leaving. Why? Well, he says this, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak in his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known. To you. So what is Jesus saying here about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples? I've got three things to suggest this morning. And firstly, that he, he, Jesus is showing that the Spirit is here to challenge and convict. The Spirit is here to challenge and convict. Verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now that is a dramatic statement from Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to contradict what you hear and what you see in the world. When the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to counteract what the world believes to be true about things like sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is that he shows up what's wrong in the world and he reveals what's right. He shows up what's wrong and he reveals what's right. And when the Spirit comes, Jesus said, he was going to prove the world to be in 
the wrong. You know, at times the Holy Spirit in our life works in such a way that it challenges and maybe reveals and shows and convicts us about attitudes or behaviors in our life that are countercultural, not to the world, but are countercultural to the way of Christ. And that means that the Holy Spirit at times exposes guilt in our life. And maybe you've experienced that before somehow or some way, perhaps as you've sat in church or you've read the Bible on your own or you've just been aware of the Holy Spirit working in you to convict you about something in your life, maybe leading you away from sin or challenging you about an attitude you've held or convincing you to apologize to someone you've mistreated or reacted angrily to. The Holy Spirit can do this and we need this. We need this almost like a a compass that's guiding us and challenging us and convicting us. But we need to be careful with this as well this morning because we need to understand that the Holy Spirit, while the Spirit brings conviction, the Spirit does not lead in shame. And we need to understand that there's a difference between conviction and shame. You see, conviction is a kind of nudge or challenge given to us by the Spirit. Not seeking to tear us down, but rather to build us up and move us forward. It won't attack who we are, but it will challenge what we do. Often conviction can come through unresolved past sin or present behavior. Shame, however, brings feelings of worthlessness, embarrassment, and dishonor. It often comes through comparison to other people or being reminded of past failure. You see, shame is man-made and turns us in on ourselves and away from God. Think of Adam and Eve for a moment in the garden. They find things to cover themselves up, and what are they doing? They play hide-and-seek with God, which isn't really going to end very very well, but they, they hide They cover themselves, cover their shame. They feel shame, they cover themselves, and they hide from God. On the other hand, conviction is spirit-led and should lead us towards God. Like Peter on the beach, who commits afresh to following Jesus after a pretty public failure. You see, one turns away from God, the other runs to God. See, when the woman was caught in adultery, shame came from the religious leaders. Those religious leaders exposed her sin. They looked down on judgment and they wanted to punish her. They were shaming her. But Jesus' response was different because Jesus came and he lifted her from her knees and offered her a second chance and showed grace to her and he challenged her to sin no more. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't weak, The Holy Spirit does bring conviction and challenge, but shame is about destroying the inner life and the sense of worth that we might have and breaks us down. But responding to the true conviction of the Holy Spirit can actually build us up through our own confession, through openly taking responsibility and choosing to build our life in Christ. In the words of Brené Brown, I think I've said that right, um, she says this, owning our story can be hard but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. And that's the first thing I want to mention about the Spirit this morning and challenging and convicting. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's without pain or difficulty. It can be hard, 
but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running away from God. So in our conviction, we turn to God. That's the Holy Spirit's job to point us back to Jesus. So if you have unresolved sin in your life this morning, today, in your life, take it to Jesus. Don't cover up or run away. He lifts us up and offers us forgiveness and leads us on. But I know for many of people in the church this morning, this is your story. If you have known, already known the forgiveness of Jesus in your life of past sins, then you need to walk in the assurance that brings you meaning, that regrets from the past can be turned from scars of pain into songs of joy. You've been lifted from the pit, Psalm 40 says. You've been given a firm place to stand and in Christ you have assurance. So while the Spirit might convict us about behaviors in our life or attitudes in our life that we want to change to become more like Jesus, we can know the assurance. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. And maybe that's something for you to hear this morning. Not that you need to do better. Not that you need to try harder. But today that for past sins, for difficulties, for ways that we have walked away from Jesus, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It should motivate us to be in Christ Jesus and to celebrate the fact for those of us who are. Blessed assurance we sometimes sing. Why? Because Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is our story. It's our song today for those of us here in Christ. So as forgiven sinners, we look upon God, we're looked upon by God as his saints, which means we can reject shame. Reject the shame that comes from comparing ourselves to others or that misses the grace of God. But it also means that we should welcome the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings us. Knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we have assurance, knowing that it doesn't change our status with God, we should welcome the conviction and gentle challenge that the Holy Spirit brings to make us more like Jesus. So the Spirit convicts and challenges. Secondly, and linked to that then, the Holy Spirit comes to guide us into truth. This is really important. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just tell us what's wrong, but it actually is there to guide us into what is true. Jesus said that when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I love that little phrase. He will guide you into all the truth. Verse 13. It's a vital aspect of the Holy Spirit's work, not just showing us what's wrong in our life, but also showing us what's right and to guide us to what is true. Leslie Newbegin said this, the Spirit is not the domesticated auxiliary of the church, but the powerful advocate who goes before the church to bring the world under conviction. You see, it's so important to underline this morning that the work of the Spirit lines up perfectly with the, with the words of Scripture. The work of the Spirit lines up perfectly with the words of the Scripture. You see, what the Holy Spirit reveals to us or to you in your life will never be in contradiction to God's Word. But rather, the Spirit often reveals some things to us in our life that hold to what is written in the Bible. You see, we want to be open as a church and as individual disciples to the prophetic voice of God. 
but we also want to hold high our expectation and our desire for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to come primarily through reading his words. Just this week, someone in this church was telling me about a recent disappointment or a series of disappointments they have had as they've walked through a, a kind of set of job interview uh, processes. But through that process, or one of those processes, they felt the Holy Spirit guide them towards a particular Bible verse, and almost like a highlighter or you know, pen underlining the, that verse in their life. And that verse gave them hope in the midst of their experiences. But it also guided them to make particular decisions about what pathways or doorways to walk through and what not to. You see, the Holy Spirit was guiding her into truth, guiding her into truth by using the truth in her life. And how we need this today, you know, we live in a, in a digitalized culture or the fake news world, isn't that right? You know, where occasionally, you know, even this week in a WhatsApp group that I'm in, a message arrived in with a link and a photograph to something. And I just thought, that sounds strange. And I Googled the information and found that what had been sent to me wasn't even true. It wasn't a real story. It had been generated. You see, it happens to us all the time. And as disciples, we desperately need to develop discernment for a digital age. Have we ever thought that the Holy Spirit isn't just here to guide us in the truth when we sit in church or make major life choices, but the Holy Spirit can be guiding us in the truth as we even consume media? The average UK adult, we're told, spends six and a half hours a day on screens from mobile phones to TV to Netflix. That's 40% of our waking life, by the way. Six and a half hours a day. Our phones literally tell us how much time we spend on it. And we probably already know that. You don't need a preacher to tell many of you that, uh, of us that this morning. And yet the kind of dopamine rush that comes from each new notification continues to reel us back in. And as we consume this media or scroll through our phones, we are literally being shaped. Our minds are being formed through what we watch and through what we read and through who we listen to. Even the very regular act of checking, you know, again and again, forms our brains in terms of who we look to and what we look to for meaning. Digital technology is infiltrating every aspect of our lives. And like fish swimming in the ocean, we've just got so used to it that we don't even notice how it shapes us and forms us anymore. Now, I'm not going to prescribe to the congregation this morning that we should become Amish and completely switch off. Although, to be honest, <laughs> there's more and more, think, more and more part of me that thinks that they've got it right at times. <laughs> but are we noticing how we are being shaped and formed in truth when the Holy Spirit is here to guide us into what is really true? In Genesis 11, human beings decide, have a brainwave, they decide to develop technology in a way to make their name great. And they decide to build a tower to reach all the way up to heaven. And we smirk at that story now and we think, you know, what a silly plan. And their plan was futile and their goal was impossible and their motives were definitely wrong. And so God intervenes and throws their plans into chaos and confusion. And we smirk. 
But sometimes I wonder if that's a picture of the modern world. Humanity progressing themselves. Society advancing to become more modern, achieving more and seeking to become better, yet ultimately chaos and confusion reigns. We are living in a more technologically savvy world than ever before, yet earlier this year, a prominent MP was interviewed and she couldn't even answer the question, what is a woman? That MP happens to be the Shadow Secretary of State for women. We live in an age of confusion and we desperately need to be guided into truth. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit seeks to do. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't just someone who shows up whenever we gather in a building like this on Sundays and gives us goosebumps in our arm during a a song that we sing or, or, or a moment when a preacher says something. If we believe the Holy Spirit is alive, active and moving through the rest of the week, then that means our conscience might be pricked when we're watching Netflix or even the news. We should be prepared for that and be able to respond to that. You know, we know when crossing a road to stop, look and listen. But have we learned to stop and think when engaging with different aspects of our world? When did you last stop to think about the news article you've just read or the show that you've just watched or the song that's stuck in your head? Because we can learn to either confront or even to connect the gospel to every good or broken thing in our culture. We're submerged by idols, but disciples of Jesus in a digital age should become aware through the, through the guiding of the Holy Spirit of, how, of what truth is. You see, Jesus told his disciples that he would guide them into all truth. So where are you looking to today? Where are you looking to in your life for truth? Are you seeking it in the right places? And are you, are you seeking to grow in wisdom? You know, wisdom isn't knowledge. We can know lots of things. But are we seeking to grow in godly wisdom by allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and to grow in discernment as we scroll or as we live or as we converse with work colleagues, whatever it is, as we read? And as a little aside, if you want to think about this whole area of technology more, particularly with children or young people, I recommend a book called TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. Um, it's uh, possibly further than I've gone, but it's really, really helpful. TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. And it might help you to, to kind of think about some of these things. So the Spirit challenges and convicts. The Spirit also guides us into truth. But lastly, and probably most importantly, the Spirit is here to glorify Jesus. Verse 14, Jesus said this, He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. See, there's a parallel here in Jesus' words in the work of the Spirit, paralleling it to the work of John the Baptist who came before Jesus. See, John came as a precursor to Jesus to prepare the world for him and his job was to point away from himself John said, I must become greater. He must become, sorry, no. He said, I must become less. He must become greater, okay? So John the Baptist's idea or whole uh, purpose was to point to Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit is gonna come after Jesus to carry on his work and point the way to him. And while the Holy Spirit is way greater than John was in his power and in his presence, the task and the purpose was essentially the same, to glorify Jesus. You know, this is to be all about Jesus. It's 
the purpose of even of the church. The church is to be all about Jesus. And I don't know if you struggle to engage with church during the periods of the pandemic when restrictions were high and we were forced to engage with church online via YouTube or Zoom or, or when we gathered on Sundays, but we had to stay spaced apart or have our faces covered. Perhaps you didn't engage at all. And in some ways that's kind of understandable because any of these forms of church, whether online or socially distant or faces covered, are nowhere near God's intention for what it means to be part of his church. It was essential, by the way, but it was limited. Meeting together, seeing one another, greeting one another is all what it means to be part of God's family here on earth. And we lost so much of the horizontal dimension to our worship. But perhaps it was an opportunity. Perhaps it was an opportunity where we were missing the horizontal dimension of our worship for us to recapture some of the vertical dimension to our worship. And perhaps the church in general across this land has lost a little sight of that over the years. We've developed in our fellowship with coffee times after church. We greet people at the start of worship, which I know you all love, by the way. It's your favorite part of the service. And we have discipleship and community. We have small groups for fellowship. We have greater informality in our gatherings. And all of that is great. And we need to pursue those things. Growing closer as a family is one of our key aims in Carnmoney in this season. But perhaps in all of that, there's a danger that we can lose the vertical dimension of worship. Where as we gather, our purpose is all about Jesus. It's to glorify him. It's to meet with him. It's to meet with God and to be guided in him. And that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to guide us and point us in a way that points us actually away from ourselves that lifts our eyes off ourselves and on to Jesus because he is greater. To quote the first statement in the Shorter Catechism, which I'm sure you all know off by heart, it says this, man's chief end is to glorify God. Someone was saying it down at the back there. Is to glorify God, you're right, and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. And the Holy Spirit is to help us to do that. The Holy Spirit's job purpose is to point us to Jesus and glorify him. That's the goal. That's the aim because Jesus is the one who supplies strength for the weak today. Jesus is the one who's available for the tempted and the tried. Jesus is the one who sympathizes and saves, who strengthens and sustains, the one who guards and guides and heals the sick and forgives sinners and discharges debtors, who blesses the young, who serves the unfortunate and regards the aged, who delivers captors, who defends the feeble, who rewards the diligent and beautifies the meek. The Holy Spirit is here to point us to him. As I close this morning, I don't know if you caught the story during the Jubilee celebrations this weekend of one of the Queen's longtime friends who was recounting the time that they met a couple of American tourists while out walking in a park in Balmoral. And these American tourists came along and, and became engaged in conversation with the Queen and her friend, and they didn't recognize the Queen. And uh, they asked her where she was from. 
London, she replied. <laughs> but I've been coming here on holiday for nearly 80 years. That's incredible, the American said. In all that time you've been around here, have you ever met the Queen? <laughs> and quick as a flash, she replied, I haven't. But she pointed to her friends and she said, he has on many occasions. At which they turned their focus to her friend. And they said, that's incredible. Can we get a picture with you? And they asked the queen to take a picture of, of them with her friend. And they went away not knowing who they'd been in the presence with. And apparently the queen said to her friend, I really hope that one day they look at that picture and find out that I was there. You see, they totally missed. They totally missed that they were in the presence of greatness. And you know, perhaps we've been so focused on our own busyness, our own understanding, our own lives, our own agendas, that we've been completely oblivious to the fact that we are and we have been in the presence of greatness. For anyone who is in Christ, we are promised the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with us. And you know, the greatest event that we celebrate this weekend is not the jubilee of an incredible ruler in our nation. As glorious as her reign has been, her majesty's reign will one day cease. But Pentecost opened the gift of consistent and constant presence in the church from the one who ascended to sit on an eternal throne. It will not pass away. We have an anniversary to celebrate this weekend in society. But I'm saying that we have an anniversary this weekend to celebrate in the church that can change the trajectory of our life and the course of a whole nation. Don't miss that you are in the presence of greatness. Not just here in the church, but in your life.